So um, I was thinking back over the course of, I know I'm still very young, um, but I was thinking back over the course of my life, and um, maybe you use the words either turning point, maybe you use the word or the phrase defining moment. I've been thinking through some of those for me personally um, in my life, and uh, some of those are family-related, some of those are ministry-related, some of those just have to do with my personal growth and my personal development. I remember the first time I gave a sermon. I was 16 years old, and I gave it to my small little youth group, and it was the worst sermon you could possibly imagine. They were gracious. My youth, my youth pastor at the time was super helpful, super gracious, and that was the first time that I did what now I do every single Sunday. I remember the very first funeral I ever officiated, and it was the funeral of one of my closest friends at the time, my first one ever, and walked into that one. I remember when Becky and I first got married, I remember that phone call to my now father-in-law saying, I'd like to ask permission uh, to marry your daughter. And his first question was, well, where are you going to be living? They live in Indiana. And I said, California. And it got real quiet for a little bit. So I remember when Becky and I were, were newlyweds and we moved literally across the country to work at a church in California, didn't know anything about being married, didn't know anything about what it was like to, to be on our own, like truly on our own. And we said we would do it just for a couple years and we ended up staying there about seven years. I remember the phone call that we got when a church in Georgia was looking to plant a church, launch a church in Dawsonville, Georgia. And I remember Becky and I Googling Dawsonville, Georgia. (laughs) Don't Google Dawsonville, Georgia. We looked at that Google search and said, I don't think God's calling us there. That can't be right. I remember Father's Day weekend of 2014 being on a plane to come and visit this area And we remember just falling in love with the community. It was like God transplanted our hearts literally over the course of three days. I remember trying to sell a house with a wife in California, me here on the ground, having conversations with several of you about what we were going to do to launch a church. And I remember Becky having our oldest, who's Connor, and then pregnant with our other one and selling a house. I remember the tension that created. We think of those as defining moments. We think of those as maybe turning points. But what's interesting is even though I can identify a handful of those defining moments that shaped me and molded me and and turned me into the man that I am today, the, the follower of Jesus that I am today, the husband, the father that I am today, it wasn't just those moments. It was every moment of every day where God was using people, God was using situations, he was using circumstances, he was using good times and bad times, he was using everything in between to mold me and shape me into who I am today. And he still does that, right? We say the phrase a lot, God's not done yet. He's not done with me yet. And he continues to mold me, he continues to shape me into who he wants me to be. In order to be molded and shaped by God, though, there does have to be an an opening to those opportunities, right? Every opportunity that you and I have where God is wanting to develop you and equip you and train you and prepare you, we are either receptive to that or we say, God, I don't wanna have anything to do with that. The story of Joseph, there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs, way more downs than there are ups in Joseph's story. But I love how the psalmist in Psalm 105 kind of recaps Joseph's story. We've been in a series studying the life of Joseph And we've seen just the bad go to worse and then worse 
and then worse in regards to his life and his situations, yet God continued to be with him, and God continued to train him, equip him, and even prepare him for what was to come. Psalm 105, verse 16, here's how the psalmist describes the story of Joseph. He, talking about God, called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar, meaning he went through a lot of difficult times. Verse 19, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, look, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Then, Joseph, then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. That, that one verse, verse 19, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, and we read about that in chapter 37 several weeks ago, but notice this, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Through every single one of these situations that we've been talking about, everything from him being beaten up by his brothers, the plot to murder him, ended up his brothers sold him into slavery, God was testing his character. That word test is not probably the test that you are thinking about right now. It's not like, ooh, did I pass or did I fail? That word test literally means to refine, to refine, to smooth off the rough edges, to develop, to bring out, to strengthen, to purify. That's what God is doing in every single one of those situations from the moment he was sold into slavery by his brothers, coming out of a dysfunctional family. He was bought by a man named Potiphar in Egypt, who things seemed to be going well, but then was falsely accused of rape. And then all of a sudden, guess what? He's thrown into prison. Falsely accused, unjustly thrown into prison, but God continued to be with Joseph. And God continued to refine him, test his character, purify his character, developing Joseph to be the man and leader of God that he needed to become for what God had in store for him. So yes, even though Joseph's situations weren't so great, what I would pose for us as we not just read about the story of Joseph, but also try to apply it to our lives, is what if, what if, just maybe, what if God is more concerned about changing you than your circumstances. See, every single one of those difficulties, if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, God, please fix this. God, please get me out of this. God, no more. I can't take any more of this. We want our situation to change. We want our circumstance to change. But what happens when God is more interested in testing your character, refining your faith, purifying you and developing you and growing you and strengthening you? What happens if he's more concerned about that in you than just the circumstance or the situation that you are in. Because could we all agree that those difficult circumstances, those have a way of shaping us more than anything. Agree? Like we love the good times. And we absolutely love just sitting and resting in those good times. And those are great. I'm not saying anything against them. But you really want to be molded. You really want to be shaped into who God wants you to be. It's probably going to happen through the moments that Joseph had to go through, those difficult moments where God is working behind the scenes and working in us to refine us. There's a prayer I want to, not just for you to have in your heart and your mind, but we're gonna come back to this a lot this morning because I think this is a prayer that helps us be open to God doing just that. God, sure, like, please, 
Bless me, change my situations if possible. But at the end of the day, what do I care most about? God, I want you to refine me. I want you to develop me and prepare me and grow me into who you want me to be. So here's a prayer that opens us up to that. Lord, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I'm in. I don't know how you're going to use me. I don't know how you're going to work. I don't know how you're going to train me. I don't know how you're going to equip me. I don't know exactly how and what situations you're going to use to prepare me. I don't know when this is going to happen. I don't know when I'm going to get out of these situations. Regardless, I don't know exactly how you're going to do it. And I don't know your time frame on when you're going to do it. But regardless, I'm in. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I'm in. I hope you make that your prayer today especially. Because we're going to see Joseph have that kind of posture of heart and that attitude as well. Let's pray and we'll dive in. God, thanks so much for the promises that you give us, the promises to grow us, develop us, equip us, and train us to do the work you've called us to do, to be the men and women of God you desire us to be, to be the husbands and wife you call us to be, to be the fathers and mothers, the sons and daughters, the leaders, the servants that you desire us to be. But I also recognize that that requires you to do something in us, to change us and mold us and shape us. So we invite you to do that. May we not just listen to Joseph's story. May we take it to heart and invite you to begin to change us more than our circumstance. God, we don't know how you're going to do this and we don't know when you're going to do this. But we're all in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the part of Joseph's story we're looking at today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible, we well, had to buy a bunch more because you all have been taking them, which is great. So make sure you head on over to the, the cafe area where you got your coffee. Pick up a Bible. That's our gift to you so you can have a Bible you can read, understand, and keep with you. Genesis chapter 40, let me recap just real quick. Like I mentioned, he had been, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brother's very dysfunctional family. He was then bought by an Egyptian potiphar. Potiphar's wife told a lie about him, and so then that got him thrown into jail unfairly. So now that he's been in prison, he's actually risen up in prison, and he's actually the prisoner that's over all the other prisoners. So he's a promoted prisoner, I guess. Still in prison, but maybe slightly better than everyone else. Here's the story that we begin to read. Genesis chapter 40, we'll start in verse 1. Sometime later... Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who was looking after them. So you understand the scene. You have a cupbearer and a baker. Both offended Pharaoh. Doesn't take much to offend Pharaoh. So he throws them into prison, same prison Joseph's at, and now Joseph is technically over their care. Now there's two, there's a word that's mentioned twice in here that's a big theme throughout Joseph's story. The word time. It says in verse one, sometime later. In other words, Joseph had been in prison already for quite a a while. And then even after the baker and the cupbearer show up in prison, we're told again that they were there for quite some time. So we are understanding, and again, you see that word or that idea of timing all throughout Joseph's story. Things did not go quickly in Joseph's story, other than being thrown into prison. That's about the only thing that happened fast. All the other situations took a lot of time and moved relatively slow compared to what Joseph would have probably had, probably wanted or had hoped for. Here's what happens while this cupbearer and this baker are in prison. Verse 5. 
While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. Now, this may not, you might not catch this. This is a very significant part of Joseph's story. A cupbearer and a baker offend Pharaoh. They're thrown in prison, but they have dreams. If we know anything about Joseph is he has a lot to do with dreams. He's had dreams himself that through God is able to interpret these dreams. So now he notices something in the cupbearer and the baker. But that's fascinating to me. We're told that he noticed that they both looked upset. Let's talk about that for a second. They both looked upset, but where exactly were they? Prison. Do you think everybody looked upset in prison? Probably. So the fact that Joseph noticed they were upset says they weren't just upset like they normally were. There was something more. There was something else happening, which means Joseph had to have been paying attention to them each and every day, recognizing what their normal would have been, and then, oh, something's different today. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison, hopefully will never happen. It has not happened. But if I'm ever in prison, I don't know if I'm really going to be paying that much attention to the good, the, how everybody else is doing. And if you notice, Joseph, Joseph wasn't just caring about himself here. He noticed someone else. In Joseph's own difficult situation, in, in his own situation, again, unfairly accused, unjustly thrown in prison, Joseph is still paying attention to other people. That speaks a lot to his character that he notices when someone else is upset. But he doesn't just notice. He goes on and actually engages with them. He asks them the question, verse 7, why do you look so worried today? He asks them. I've seen you day in and day out. I know you. I've gotten to know you. But today there's something different about you. What is it? And out of all of Joseph's own problems and his own issues, he sits with this cupbearer and this baker in their problem. Don't miss it. In the midst of his own problem, he sits with someone else in their problem. That's compassion. Typically, we're always just worried about ourselves and our own problems. Joseph, even in the midst of his own difficulties and struggles and problems, his own refining process, he sits with someone else as well. That's compassion. Compassion is so much more than just, oh, I feel so bad for you. Oh, it's just having pity. Compassion is more than just noticing that someone else is upset. That's just observation. So I would say compassion without action is just observation. We observe a lot of people's problems. We observe, we probably like Joseph, we notice that somebody else is upset. We notice that somebody else is going through a difficult time like we are. But do we engage with them? Do we actually talk with them? Do we sit down with them and say, I know I'm going through it too, but tell me your story. Tell me what's going on with you. That's compassion lived out. Not just something you notice. It's a step further. May we not just observe other people's troubles when we're on our own troubles, Yes, you have to start there, but can we move to action, sitting with people in their problems, even when we're in the midst of our own problems as well? That's compassion, and Joseph's compassion has grown through his time in trials and grown through his time in all of his different, what we would say is bad situations, but God uses them as moments of refining and purifying. So 
He asks them what's wrong. They tell him, well, we've had these dreams. Both the cupbearer and the baker tell Joseph their dreams. Joseph is clear to say, hey, I can't interpret these dreams. That's only through the power of God. But God had given him that ability. So through God, Joseph's able to share the dreams, what they mean to both the cupbearer and the baker. If you keep reading on your own, you'll notice that the baker's dream isn't a very good dream. It's not going to end well for the baker. But for the cupbearer, his dream means that he's going to be restored to Pharaoh's service. He's going, to be re- he's going to be released from prison, and his life is going to go back to the way that it was. So great news for the cupbearer, not very good news for the baker. But Joseph has a request. He looks to the cupbearer and says, I've helped you. I've had compassion on you. And here's what he asked for, verse 14, to the cupbearer, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, get me out of this situation. For I was kidnapped from my, ha- my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Now notice, this comes after his compassion, but he says, yes, could you have compassion on me too? I've done this for you. Would you please remember me? Would you just mention me to Pharaoh if there's an opportunity? Can we all agree? Not. That seems like a very valid and fair request, Right? I've helped you. Your life is going to get back on track. I'm still stuck here. Would you do something if you can? You will have an audience with Pharaoh. Would you let him know that you talked with this really nice guy in prison that shouldn't be in prison? And maybe he will let me out. So the dreams go exactly the way that Joseph said they would. The baker, like I said, doesn't turn out well for him, but the cupbearer is released from prison, restored back into the service of Pharaoh, and does the cupbearer remember him? What do you think? Based off of what we know about Joseph's life so far, probably not. Verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, what's the word here? Forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought completely forgot about Joseph. Once again, the cupbearer gets out. Yay, my life is back to normal. I'm good. Totally forgot about the promise that he made to Joseph. Now, if I'm Joseph, and I hope we're trying to put ourselves in Joseph's shoes here, this is the part of the story where you're just beyond frustrated. One thing after another, after another, after another, and you finally think there's a glimmer of hope. Maybe I really can get out of this. I met this cupbearer who's got an audience with the Pharaoh. Maybe I can get out only to be forgotten about. Never thought it would last this long. I never thought it would take this long. I would have thought I would have been out by now. I would have thought I would have been restored by now. Had to have been what was going through Joseph's mind. And again, different situation, I'm sure, from us and Joseph. But we've all had those thoughts before. I thought I would have been married by now. I thought we would have had kids by now. I thought my kids would have been out of the house by now. I thought, fill in the blank, I thought it would have been different. I thought it would have moved a little bit faster. I thought I would be making more. I thought I would have this different job. I thought I would have the job that I've been training for. I thought, fill in the blank, and you're basically saying, I thought it would have been different by now. What's taking so long? Oh, there's that theme of time again. But instead, Joseph has the posture in the heart of, Lord, I don't know how, and I don't know when, but I'm still in. This would have been the moment it would have been very easy for Joseph to just give up. He's done the right things and has made his life situations worse from our perspective. 
But he said, God, I'm trusting in you. And I don't know how you're using me. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know how this is part of your plan. Lord, I don't know how, and I definitely don't know when. But I'm still in. I'm still all in. And Joseph doesn't lose faith through this. He remains faithful even through the difficulties. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I'm still all in. So we get into chapter 41. You don't have to look at this. I won't put it on the screen. But just so you know, verse 1 says, two full years later. More focus on the time. Two whole years have passed. We literally flip a page. Joseph has to go through being forgotten about in prison for two whole years. Two whole years pass, and you can keep reading. I'm going to tell you just what's happening, paraphrase it. Now, Pharaoh, two years later, after that whole cupbearer and, and baker incident, the Pharaoh has a couple dreams. And both of his dreams are different, but they pretty much mean the same thing. But he doesn't know what they mean. And he's asked all of his advisors and all of his counselors and all of the wise men in his courts, and no one can figure out what the Pharaoh's dreams mean. Oh, and then all of a sudden, this cupbearer finally remembers, hey, there's this guy in prison who was able to tell me my dream and it was accurate. Maybe we should go talk to him. It's like two years later, it took him that long to finally remember, but he does. He tells Pharaoh about it. So then here's what happens next. Verse 14, we're in chapter 41 now, we're moving quick. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, could only imagine what that would have been like for him, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that you, that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Notice Joseph's response. This is how we know that he has remained faithful to God, even in the waiting, even in the uncertainty and the unknowns. Verse 16, he says, it is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. It would have been easy for Joseph to try to take as much credit for this as possible so he could just get out of prison. Yeah, 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 I'm your guy. Whatever you need, it's me. Let me help you. But you gotta get me out of it. Let's make a deal first. Instead, what he says is, this is something that only God can do. Let me tell you about my God and then let's have a conversation. He points back to God and Pharaoh agrees. So Pharaoh tells him the different dreams. Again, he comes back at Joseph through the power of God, says, let me tell you exactly what those mean. Basically, bottom line, you can read it on your own, but Pharaoh's two dreams are both pointing to what's about to happen in the next seven years and then the seven years following. There's gonna be seven years of prosperity across the land, and then there's gonna be seven years of famine across the land. So Joseph takes this opportunity to say, Pharaoh, if you're gonna have seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine, what I would suggest is let's store up food for the next seven years. Let's get prepared. Well, there's that word again. Let's prepare ourselves now so when the famine hits, we won't run out of food. Here's Pharaoh's response. Verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled, look, with the spirit of God. This was a prisoner just a few moments ago. And this man was obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed this meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, 
and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Now notice this next point, verse 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. The entire land. If you keep reading, verse 46 tells us that Joseph was now 30 years old when this happened. Remember back to chapter 37, if you were here when we started this, do you remember how old Joseph was when this whole ordeal started? Do you remember? That's right, 17. He was 17 when his brothers plotted to kill him and ended up selling him into slavery. 17 years old. He is now 30 years old. I know it's early. What's the math? How long has this been going on? 13. You didn't sound very confident in that whatsoever. Yes, 13 years. 13 years. Let's say it again. I hear that. 13 years of ups and downs and more downs. And then a little bit of an up and then down and down and down. The situation after situation. Lord, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I'm all in. Was Joseph's posture through all of it. Through all of the, all of the difficulties, all of the problems, all of the temptations, all of the trials that what started out as a 17-year-old in a very dysfunctional family is now second in command at 30 years old over all of Egypt. And his main task is to do what he suggested, to store up food over the next seven years, to make sure that the land was ready, that people were ready for the famine that was eventually going to come. See, God was working through this whole situation behind the scenes, but not just behind the scenes. I want to focus in on what God was doing in Joseph. See, there's this incredible rhythm throughout Joseph's story, and it's the same rhythm in our lives as well, where Joseph was in a bad situation, a difficult situation, but we're told God was still with him. But Joseph had some responsibility as well. Joseph made the most of those opportunities. Just like we read, while in prison, he noticed the chief cupbearer and the baker, noticed something was wrong with them, and he engaged with them and had compassion on them. He didn't just ignore them. He made the most of his situation. And then God continued to refine Joseph and prepare him. Do you think that prideful 17-year-old we read about in chapter 37 would have been ready to be a 17-year-old in charge of the entire land of Egypt? No 17-year-old should ever be in charge of hardly anything, much less the entire nation of, of Egypt going into a famine that's going to impact the entire land. No, from that 17-year-old over the course of those 13 years, God was working on Joseph. Preparing him, equipping him, getting him ready for who he needed to be, for what he needed to be able to do. So here's what I think would be helpful for us to look at. Because again, our story and Joseph's story can be very, very different. But the shaping and molding that takes place is very similar and we can learn a lot. So how does God shape us? How does he use us? God, I don't know how. I don't know when, but I'm all in. What are some of those hows that we see in the story of Joseph that we can see in our life as well? I see three. Three specifically in the story of Joseph. God uses us in a lot of different ways. He prepares us in a lot of different ways. But specifically in the story of Joseph, I see three ways that God was equipping him, training him, testing him, preparing him for what was to come. Here they are. God prepares us through our trials, timing, as well as opportunities. The trials, the time frame, as well as opportunities. Let me explain those real quick, and then we'll get really practical. How does God use us and prepare us through our trials, our difficulties? We said that earlier. 
Those difficulties are what actually help us grow. It's the difficult situations that strengthen us, that point back to God's faithfulness. All the difficulties that Joseph went through were preparing him and equipping him for what he would not have been ready for if he didn't have those trials in those situations. Read James chapter one this week if you want more on that, on what those trials actually do, how it produces endurance in us, how it grows us from the inside out. God uses our trials. He also uses time. And we hate this one because we want things now. We want things quick. Again, 13 years of Joseph being refined. Come on, God, you created the world. You created the universe. Can't you do this in less than 13 years? Well, of course he could, but that's part of the growth process, isn't it? Things take time. Allow God the time to work in you. When our prayers become very immediate focused, time focused, God, I need this and I need it now. God, I want you to get me out of this situation yesterday. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm still all in. That last one, the opportunities, this one's big. Joseph was not passive during those 13 years. What I mean by passive is he didn't just sit back with his arms crossed and say, well, God, this is all on you. Whenever I get out, I get out. No, no. Think of what he did in those 13 years. He was faithful in the household of Potiphar so that he actually was promoted in Potiphar's household. And even though he was falsely accused and thrown into prison, he still did the right things through those temptations. He proved his righteousness in a very tempting and difficult situation. He grew his faith through that situation. In the prison, he didn't just sit back and say, God, this isn't working. No, he engaged in an opportunity to the point where he was promoted within the prison. Isn't it fascinating that before Joseph was in charge of Egypt, he was first given charge of a household and a prison. So much we want to skip the household and the prison and just be in charge of Egypt. Let me lead Egypt. Let me have my responsibility. But I think it's very intentional that God said, no, I need you to be a leader and a servant in a man's household first. I need you to be a leader and a servant in a prison first before you get the keys to Egypt. God is preparing you. He is equipping you. He is developing you. Will you let him grow you? Will you let him mold you into who he wants you to be? We've said it several times that God uses those difficult situations, the, the uncertainties to lead us and guide us. A Christian author, Bob Goff, he said it this way. He said, the way we deal with uncertainty or difficult situations says a lot about whether, look, Jesus is, is ahead leading us or behind just carrying our stuff. I saw that this last week and it just hit me. I love that. How we handle, how we deal with our uncertainties and the unknowns. God, I don't know how and I don't know when. How we deal with those says a lot of whether Jesus is leading us or he's just behind us carrying all of our stuff. I want Jesus to lead you. I want you to follow him through every situation, especially the difficult ones, and allow him to grow you, mold you, and shape you. So I think there's some questions we can ask. These might be worth writing down. Uh, maybe take a picture of them if you don't write very fast. I want us to ask God three questions when we're in difficult situations, and then we're going to make three commitments to God when we were in difficult situations. Here's the first part. Three questions to ask God when you are in the middle of a difficult situation. There they are. Here's your first one. God, what are you trying to teach me? 
Second, what do you want to change in me? And lastly, how do you want to use me? Let me talk about those three real fast. In the middle of a difficult situation, like Joseph's 13 years were, the first question, God, what are you trying to teach me? What lesson can I be learning? Joseph learned a lot of different lessons through those 13 years. In a difficult situation, second one, what do you want to change in me? I'm not perfect. God, you're not done with me yet. So what do you want to do in me? What do you want to change in me? Instead of focusing on changing the situation, God, what do you want to change in me? Let's start there. Because let me just say, if God is really, and I'm, I'm not making an assumption here, I'm just posing the question. If God is really trying to change something in you, and he's going to use a certain situation to change that in you, until you change, I don't see the situation changing. Does that make sense? So instead of saying, God, change my situation, he's like, not until you do. <laughs> You're going to be playing this back and forth game with God. He's going to win. So God, what do you want to change in me? What is this situation trying to beat out of me or teach me or grow in me or equip me or prepare me for? Last question to ask God in a difficult situation. How do you want to use me? Do you believe that God can still use you when you're going through stuff? Yes or no? Absolutely. Again, we see that time and time again with Joseph. Here he was in prison. We just read the story. He is in prison and he's helping to other people. Might not be the opportunity you want, but it's the opportunity that God has given you. That might not be how you were hoping to serve or hoping to lead or hoping to help, but that's the opportunity that God has given you and has put in front of you. So those three questions, when I'm in the middle of struggles and trials and difficulties, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want to change in me? And how do you still want to use me today? Those are the three questions. Now let's talk about the three commitments. When you're in the middle of a difficult time, a difficult situation or circumstance, here's three commitments. There's a lot more, a lot more commitments we can make to God. But in difficult times, these are three great ones to start with. First, God, I will trust your plans and your purpose. Again, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm still all in. You will run yourself around in circles trying to figure out what's God exactly doing? Where's this leading? What's he trying to, we're not gonna always know that. There's no way Joseph would have known exactly what was supposed to happen. He, even though he had dreams, he still didn't know exactly how this was gonna happen. So can we just commit to trusting God? He knows. He has his ways. And his ways are not just good, they are perfect. Can we trust him and his plans and purposes? Second is I commit to growing where I am. This is a big one. Oftentimes like, no, 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 I can't grow in this. God, you need to put me over here. Then I can really grow. Again, it becomes situation-based. God wants to grow you, and will you commit to being grown right where you are? Whatever situation you find yourself in today, you can grow through that. Don't just be passive of, well, when it's over, it's over. I'll just weather the storm. I'll hunker down. No, lean in. Let him grow you right where you are. Thirdly, I will serve who is around me. God, I want to serve. I want to lead Sometimes we have to serve and lead in a household first, like we said. Sometimes we have to serve and lead in a prison before we serve and lead in Egypt. So who's around you? Might not be Pharaoh yet. You might just have some prisoners around you. You might just have some other servants around you. Can you serve, will you serve, who is around you today? 
and allow God to grow you there, equip you and challenge you, convict you and change you into who God wants you to be so that you'll be ready for where he's leading you next. Lord, I don't know how, and I don't know when, but I am all in. As we close out today, I want to read over you a prayer, a prayer out of Romans chapter 11. If you would, if you'll close your eyes and let me just pray this over you. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is, it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Father God, that, that's our prayer. As we pray, we're not praying that you would change a situation or that you would change a circumstance. God, we recognize that your ways are not our ways, that your thoughts are not our thoughts, that you know so much more than we could ever fathom to know. And we trust you. And we invite you to change us from the inside out, to change us more than changing our situations or our circumstances. Like Joseph, would you use us and mold us, shape us and change us so that we can become who you desire us to be. Reading the story of Joseph reminds us of your faithfulness and just how you grew and developed and trained and prepared Joseph. We believe that you're doing the same for us. So God, we commit to trusting you and your ways and your plans. We commit to letting you grow us right where we're at. And we commit to serving those around us no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.